0: Hi, I'm Tyler Sultze, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news, or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org That's www.gbfperu.org I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, Convicting, joyful, and even life changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Acts chapter 15 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, page 924. You can also follow along on the outline in your bulletin if that is helpful for you this morning. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we're reminded again and again and again of what Jesus Christ is doing in his church. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, that after he rose again from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, gave them this commission, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that then he ascended up into heaven and then his disciples were sent out again. And that Jesus Christ was working in his church, and we've been seeing him work in his church throughout the book of Acts. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we believe that Jesus Christ will still work in his church today, will still work in this church today, that Jesus Christ is not done. And that's what I pray for, that Jesus Christ would be at work in us, that he would be at work in our church That we might see Him actively working. That we might have a, a sense of expectation. Jesus Christ is going to do something here among us and is going to do something great by the power of His Holy Spirit. I hope you have that expectant heart. That our Savior will still do great things among us, in us through us. Would you stand with me as we read Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, and I will read through chapter 16, verse 5 this morning. Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. To Father, Son, and Spirit, now our souls we lift, our wills we bow. To you, the triune God, we raise with loving hearts our lives of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever taken a long trip? A trip that lasted for an extended amount of time, and by the time that you finished your trip, you were exhausted. You were beat, you were drained physically, mentally, emotionally. It was just a difficult trip. After you get back from that trip, you feel like you need a respite, time to regain energy, time to regain focus, recover from what you just experienced, time to rest. However a difficult trip you might have had in your own life, I can't imagine that you would have ever faced a more difficult trip than Paul and Barnabas did on their first missionary journey. So here's a brief recap on what happened to them on this trip. They were opposed by a magician named Elymas, a practitioner of black magic. Paul very likely got sick midway through the journey. The Jews at one point were filled with jealousy and contradicted Paul and Barnabas. Persecution was stirred up against them. People plotted to harm and hurt and even kill them. They were hailed as pagan gods by a pagan people. Paul was dragged out of a city and stoned to the point where people thought that he was dead. And that does not even mention all of the miles that they traveled, not by car, but either by ship or by foot. And then when they come back from this trip, they come back to this town called Antioch and then there's these false teachers who come into Antioch and Paul and Barnabas contend against these false teachers and they take another trip down to Jerusalem 300 miles to resolve the controversy they resolve the controversy and then they travel back 300 miles to Antioch and after doing all of that I can't imagine getting to a place where you'd say hey let's take another trip but that's what Paul does this is the beginning here of what we know as Paul's second missionary journey. And what I love here is Paul's desire. Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul was concerned for the churches. They had planted these churches. They had begun these churches. But they did not remain long with them. And now these churches were... His heart. He had a burden for them. He cares for them. He loves them. And it spurs him on to say, let's go back. Let's go on another trip. Paul, do you remember what happened to you on your last trip? (laughs) Do you remember how difficult it was? Do you remember how you suffered? Do you remember how you were persecuted? Do you remember how you almost died? Yes, let's do it again. Why? For the cause of Christ and for His bride, the church. Christ loves His church, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will love the church as well. Not put up with the church, not tolerate the church. Not dabble in the church, not resent the church, not even like the church. You will love the church. And like Paul, you will desire Christ's church to be strengthened. I believe Paul knew how important it was for the churches to be strengthened. It wasn't just enough for Paul to start the churches. He saw the need. The necessity to strengthen. And why was it that these churches needed to be strengthened? Why is it that churches still need to be strengthened? Because we are not automatically fully transformed into the people and the church that we should be. There is a great need for churches to be strengthened, and I do not think that it is a principle only for the first century. I believe it is just as much needed today. Churches need to be strengthened, and Paul and Barnabas were about to give themselves to strengthening the church. What is it that causes someone to give themselves to strengthening churches? It's because they long to see strong churches. When you want the church to be strengthened, you desire to see gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, God-focused churches. Do you think there's a need for strong churches today? You better believe that there's a need for strong churches today. The problem and danger is that there are obstacles that would try to get in our way and keep the church from being strengthened. And we oftentimes let what appears to be overwhelming obstacles overcome us and threaten the strength of the church. This is where there has to be a determination to see the church grow and strengthen. And it's a determination that is going to have to go against the grain of the world because the world does not want to see strong churches. It wants to see weak churches with malnourished Christians who worship a small, non-threatening, grandfather-like God. And the world loves to tell us how weak the church is, how weak those bunch of hypocrites are. And they would love nothing more than to see a weakened church. This is where there must be determination in our hearts and in our minds. And I praise God that it is first Christ who strengthens the church. We must not pretend that any strengthening of the church, any strengthening of our church happens apart from Him. But there are threats that we see in this passage. There are very well threats that could have hindered Paul and Barnabas and their determination. Threats that very well, if left unchecked and to themselves, could have stopped the missionary work. Obstacles that we see all too often weaken the church. But we must resolve. And say there must be a Christ-motivated, Spirit-empowered motivation to see the church strengthened. To see this church strengthened. But we must be aware of the threats. So as not to let these threats stop the church from being the strong church. I believe that God wants this church to be. So, what are these threats? Number one. We cannot let personal disagreements stop the church from being strengthened. We cannot let personal disagreements stop the church from being strengthened. We get a healthy dose of reality in these few verses. And here's the reality. Paul and Barnabas are human (laughs) They are leaders in the church. Christ has been using them in great and amazing ways, but that does not make them perfect people. Paul says, hey, let's go back to check on those places where we proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's check on those churches. We see here that it is the word of the Lord that starts those churches, that saves those people. It was the preaching of the gospel that began the work, and it was the message of the gospel that brought salvation to people so that they believed, and so the church began. This was the difficult, hard, and risky work of the ministry that Paul and Barnabas had done. And immediately after Paul says, hey, let's go back to these churches, Barnabas says, great idea, Paul, let's take John Mark with us. You remember John Mark, don't you? We see John Mark here in Acts earlier. The disciples had gathered at John Mark's mother's house to pray in chapter 12. John Mark had been brought from Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas up to the church in Antioch. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. John Mark had assisted them on their first missionary journey. But then John Mark deserted them in the middle of that journey. He left. He went back home. We are not told exactly why he left, but he did. And now they are about to embark on their second missionary journey, and Barnabas says, let's take the guy who left us last time. Paul was not convinced. He thought it best and wisest, Not to take one who had deserted them, who had withdrawn from them, who had not continued with them in the work. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, Paul did not. And there is a conflict between believers. Surprising, isn't it? A conflict between believers? Hmm, I've never heard of that before. What is this strange thing that we see here in these verses? How I wish I could say that. Unfortunately, we know conflict between believers all too well as those who have either been in conflict or have experienced the results of such conflict. Think for a moment about who these two men are. This is Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't even his real name. His real name was Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname given to him by the church. It means son of encouragement. He had sold a piece of property he owned. He had given all of the proceeds to the church. He became a pillar in the early church. He was sent by the church in Jerusalem up to the church in Antioch for the first time where he saw the grace of God upon the people there. He was called a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was the one who went and found Saul at Tarsus and brought him back to Antioch where they taught together for a whole year. And you have Paul. Paul, who was once the most zealous persecutor of the church among the Jews. But he was spectacularly converted when the Lord Jesus Christ himself met him on that road to Damascus. He was the man who went about showing other people that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the King. He would be the apostle whose focus would become on getting the gospel message to the Gentiles. And many, many, many Gentiles would believe the gospel because of Paul. Many, many, many churches would be started because of Paul. And Paul, whose writing would become a major staple in the New Testament, writing 13 books in total. These two men, Barnabas and Paul, were important men, used of God to build and establish the church. To the point where their lives and their teaching are still used of God to impact lives and our souls today. These two men came to a sharp disagreement. The idea behind this sharp disagreement is that they were stirred up on the inside. They felt provoked in their hearts. How could it be that these two strong, important, powerful Christian men could have such a disagreement? Their humanity is laid bare. They were not perfect. They were still a work in progress. God was still sanctifying them. If God was still sanctifying Barnabas and Paul, there's hope for us. There's hope for me. God will sanctify us as well, just as he was still sanctifying these men. And none of us, no matter where you are, On the spectrum of Christianity, whether you've been a Christian for 8 seconds or for 80 years, you need God to continue the work of sanctification in your life. And notice, this sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul was not resolved. At least not immediately. They did not and could not come to a resolution, so they separated. Barnabas takes John Mark. And they sail to Barnabas's home island of Cyprus. Paul chooses a man named Silas. Silas was from the church in Jerusalem. And they depart and they go a different direction. And Paul and Barnabas's disagreement between each other has actually led to a disagreement in the church as well. Because there comes a question in this disagreement and the question is this. Who's right? Is Barnabas right and Paul wrong? Or is Paul right and Barnabas wrong? We are not told explicitly in the text. We must not, however, use this text as a justification for church splits. These are two men, not a church. We cannot make that jump and say from this text that God is justifying church splits. That's not what this text is doing. Also notice that this disagreement is not over theology. It's not a disagreement over teaching. It's not a disagreement over the gospel or even an implication of the gospel. This disagreement is not and does not change the message. It does not change the method of ministry. This disagreement did not change the God-given mandate to spread the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you were to make me choose this morning about which one was right and which one was wrong, I would lean to this decision. I would say, Paul is right and Barnabas is wrong. Now, before you object, because I, I hear those objections in my ears... But look at, how, look at how compassionate Barnabas was with John Mark. Look at how encouraging Barnabas was to John Mark to give him a, a second chance after he had failed. Look at how inclusive Barnabas is to include John Mark on another missionary journey. Look at how humble John Mark is to be willing to go on another journey after he failed in the last one. I hear all of those arguments. I hear all of those objections But my reasoning doesn't come from common sense. My reasoning comes from the text. Two reasons why I think that the text might lean towards the direction of Paul being right. First, we read about Paul's reasons for not taking John Mark. Paul says he deserted us and did not finish the work with us. There are no reasons given for Barnabas as to why he wanted to take John Mark. In fact, this is the last that we hear about Barnabas in the whole book of Acts. After verse 39, the name of Barnabas is never mentioned again. We do not know what happened to him from the book of Acts after this. We know no more of his ministry, how he was used of God. The text is completely silent about Barnabas, which... I would say, could very likely be evidence that he was not in the right on this occasion. But second, look at what happens to Paul and Silas. They are commended by the church to the grace of the Lord. The church puts its seal of approval on Paul and Silas as they are sent out on their missionary journey. We're not told of any such commendation by the church for Barnabas and John Mark. They simply sail away. Such a commendation And commitment by the church toward Paul can be taken as an indicator that he was in the right. You can still disagree with me if you want. That's fine. But I've given you two reasons from the text. And that's what we want. We want to be convinced by the text of Scripture. Not just merely go off of common sense. Because sometimes even our common sense can be faulty, can deceive us. The better news, though, and after the question of who's right and who's wrong, the better news is that this this disagreement did not go on ad infinitum. It wasn't resolved right then and there, but towards the end of his ministry, Paul writes this about John Mark, 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Paul did come to see Mark as important to the work of the ministry later on in his ministry. So there must have been some resolution to this conflict. This conclusion that I give to you about who is right and who is wrong, I hold with very loose hands, however, because I believe that is not the main point. If if God wanted us to know explicitly who was right and who was wrong, He would have told us given us a very clear answer. The point of this passage is not, who should I be like? Should I be like Barnabas or should I be like Paul? I believe it's not a passage where we are given an exemplar or an example of someone's life to follow. Rather, what shines forth in this passage is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ continues to go forth and work despite disagreements. Even disagreements cannot dampen the grace of Christ. The bigger point is this, what would appear to be a setback to the work of the Lord is actually used by God to strengthen and grow churches and even multiply the work that He is doing. While Paul and Barnabas' disagreement led them to divide, they did not let their disagreement divide and destroy Christ's church. Christ's church was more important, more cherished, more sacred than their personal disagreement. How often is it possible for us to let personal disagreements hinder the work of the ministry? Fine. If you don't like it, if we can't agree, if you don't see it my way, then I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit here with my arms folded and have a tantrum because I didn't get my way. This is not a disagreement over theology, over message, over gospel. It is a personal disagreement that you have, not based on any scriptural support. And this is a disagreement that they're willing to say, even though we disagree, we're not going to let it hinder the work that Jesus Christ is doing in the church. And oftentimes, we let the personal disagreements that we hold on to, we elevate them maybe even to the, the level of scripture And hold on to them simply because in our pride we would say, I know what is best. This is why Paul and Silas were commended by the church to the grace of the Lord. It was because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that was going to go with them and was going to go before them. And do the work of strengthening in the churches that needed to be done and they just had to be willing to go. The disagreement did not stop them from fulfilling the work of the ministry that God had given them to do. Paul and Silas were strengthening all the churches in Assyria and Cilicia by the grace of the Lord. And here is what here is what the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ does, my friends. Christ completely undoes the my way or the highway mentality in the church. My way to do ministry. My way to grow the church. My hobby horse. My pet preference. My glory. My way. My way. My way. When you know Christ... When you know his greatness, he is so compelling that even personal disagreements do not and will not get in the way of what he is doing in the church. Christ is more compelling than any disagreement that we might have. Is it Christ that is compelling you? Is it Christ who is controlling you? Is it Christ who has so gripped you that even in your personal disagreements you will not let those get in the way of what Christ is doing in the church. Let the love of Christ compel you, my friend, to love the church more than you love yourself. And even to be allowed to be used by Christ to help strengthen the church. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15. through For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. That's the beginning point of strengthening the church. Number two, we cannot let potential distractions stop the church from being strengthened. We cannot let uh, potential distractions, potential distractions. Are you easily distracted? Sometimes people say that those who are easily distracted are so because they open themselves up to distraction or interruption. Distraction at times can have a negative effect on our work, on the things that we're trying to get done. We are constantly pulled away from a task. The task is never completed. It takes much longer to get the task done. There are potential distractions sometimes and we have to know how to eliminate some of those unhelpful distractions or interruptions so that we are able to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Paul and Silas run into a potential distraction in the work they are doing. They're going from town to town, visiting the brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them, doing the work of the ministry. And if you would note, they're actually going backwards than the way they went last time. So they start at the... The last church that they went on, the first missionary journey, that becomes the first church now as they go throughout this region, reaching these churches. And they come to the town of Lystra. And in Lystra, there is a disciple there named Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Well, his mother was Jewish and was a believer in Jesus Christ, but his father was a Greek. And we're not told about any specific faith that his father had. We know that Timothy was well thought of by those in the church. He was respected. The way he lived his life before them was well thought of and God led the church to speak well of him. We also know from the book of 1 Timothy that both Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother named Eunice had taught Timothy the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament from an early age. And that his grandmother and mother had possessed a sincere faith in Christ, and they had led him to possess that same sincere faith which they possessed. Timothy would later become a pastor, and Paul would write two letters to him to encourage him in his pastoring of the church. Here, Paul and Silas find him for the very first time, and Paul has a desire for Timothy to join them on their missionary journey. And Paul does something that might make us scratch our heads. Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him. Wait a second. If you've been going with us through the book of Acts, we just read about a controversy in Acts chapter 15 over circumcision. There were Jews going to the Gentile people, and telling them that in order to be saved, they had to be circumcised. They had to keep the whole Old Testament law. And both Paul and Barnabas together had pushed back against this false teaching. They were emphatic that the Gentile did not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. So why now, only a few verses later, is Paul circumcising Timothy? When it appears that he was so adamantly against circumcision, only a few verses earlier. We have to remember the context. Jews were telling Gentiles they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. What do we know about Timothy? Timothy had a Greek father but a Jewish mother. And because he had a Jewish mother, he would have been considered Jewish. For someone who would be considered a Jew, like Timothy, not to be circumcised would be an offense to other Jews. So, Timothy being considered Jewish meant that in order to be able to be received by other Jews, he would need to be circumcised. This is not a matter of salvation. Paul did not circumcise Timothy to add anything to his spiritual life, the eternal life that he already possessed through faith. The fact that Timothy was not circumcised would have been a potential distraction for the Jews. Not only would Timothy not be received by the Jews, but Paul's whole team could lose a hearing with the Jews. That is why it says that Paul did this, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew Timothy's father was Greek. So, bearing circumcision would show that he was Jewish. Paul circumcised Timothy in order to remove any potential, distraction, or obstacle that would keep the gospel from going forth. And Paul would regularly go into the synagogue when he arrived into a town and would have been hindered from doing that if Timothy was not circumcised. Paul's concern was to remove every and any hindrance or distraction so that people might see and savor Jesus Christ. And not only did Paul circumcise Timothy to remove potential distractions, he also told the Gentile believers in those towns where he had proclaimed the gospel, the decision of the Jerusalem council. He wanted to remove other distractions that would create fellowship in the churches between Jews and Greeks. He wanted to bring the church together together. It was helping them focus on what was important. It was strengthening the church. In fact, this is Paul's mentality. He says this in 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23 For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. For the sake of Jesus Christ. He wanted people to be captivated with Christ. Not drawn away by distractions. Is it our desire to remove distractions that might hinder people from seeing Christ? Is it our desire even to do everything we can to get ourselves out of the way. So that we aren't the distraction. So that we aren't the ones keeping people from seeing Christ. Because this is what we do. We proclaim Jesus Christ. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. How imperative it is for us to let it be shown that Christ is more captivating than any potential distraction. And look at the result in 16.5. Look at the result. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. Everywhere that Paul and Silas and Timothy went, churches were being strengthened. They were being strengthened in the faith, which shows that they were people of faith. People who had put their faith in someone. People whose faith was in Jesus Christ alone. They were people... Saved by grace through faith alone. They had trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They fully believed in the redeeming work of Christ. That he had taken away their sin. Where he who knew no sin became sin so that they could become the righteousness of God. Their faith in Christ brought confidence in knowing that they were forgiven. And gave them unshakable assurance that eternal life was theirs through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ since now they had received Christ's righteousness let that message captivate people let the gospel of Jesus Christ come to hold people's interest because when compared to anything else Christ's glory is great and shines brighter than anything else we could ever imagine this is the Savior you must know today. It's the only way to find salvation. He is the only way to find eternal life. There is no other way than through Him. You cannot attain it yourselves. You have to believe and trust that He has done everything for you to save you. And that He offers you this salvation as a gift of grace to be believed and received. And look at, look at what it says in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened In the faith. Look at those words, in the faith, for a moment. Because Luke uses those words at other times in the book of Acts. He says that people were obedient to the faith. Another place he says that that someone was trying to turn away someone from the faith. Paul at one time was encouraging the churches, to continue in the faith. This is not simply a faith, one among many, not a nebulous, ambiguous, hazy faith. No, it is the faith. And the faith is based on the object of that faith, and that is Jesus Christ. Churches don't need to just be strengthened. They need to be strengthened in the faith. The faith that is based on the glorious Christ. Jesus is the one who brings that obedient faith. He's the one who helps us persevere in that faith. There's nothing else for the churches to be strengthened in, my friend. It is either strengthened in the faith or it's not strengthened at all. And this was important work, necessary work that Paul and his team were giving themselves to. Churches were being strengthened, and they needed to be strengthened. They needed to be strong churches. I wonder through all of this, what about about us? What about grace, Bible, fellowship? Do we need to be strengthened? Do we need to be strengthened in the faith? Do we even want to be strengthened in the faith? Have you ever pled with God to strengthen grace, Bible, fellowship? and if you pray, and if you intercede and say, God, please strengthen Grace Bible Fellowship, but you yourself are unwilling to change, unwilling to be conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, unwilling to let the gospel penetrate deeper and deeper into your heart and mind, I don't know how you believe that God would ever answer such a prayer. God, strengthen the church, but don't strengthen me. Don't change me, don't make me move, don't make me sacrifice. Don't imagine, my dear brother or sister, for one moment, that great spiritual strength and influence will pour out of this church into our community and into the world if we ourselves are not being spiritually strengthened in the faith, in our own lives, first. Maybe what you need to pray is that God would strengthen you so that His church might be strengthened. Strong churches are made up of transforming Christians who plead for the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to show its immeasurable strength through us, even in our weaknesses. Do you really want to see Grace Bible Fellowship strengthened? And if you are so determined, do you know what you're asking of God? Come to that final statement then in verse 5. And they increased in numbers daily. Numbers are not the goal of the church. Numbers are the natural result. Paul and Silas and Timothy were not shooting for more numbers. But numbers increased daily because Jesus Christ was strengthening his church. If we make numbers the goal, we will fail. But if we focus on being the church that God wants us to be, being the people that He wants us to be, then we wait upon the Lord for the natural results. And this was happening daily in these churches, not monthly, not yearly, daily. As the churches were strengthened in the faith, As they were taught and encouraged and discipled and corrected and challenged, their lives were transforming and it led to others who were transformed and who were changed and who were saved and who were brought into the community of faith, the church. Let us be those who are compelled by Christ and captivated by Christ so that this church is being strengthened in the faith and is growing all for the glory of God. God, we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened by our Savior Jesus Christ. We need to be transformed and changed. And it begins with us. It begins with me. It begins with each individual person here. Lord, let us not just pray. Strengthen Grace Bible Fellowship. Although we want that to happen. Let us pray, Lord, strengthen me. Help me to be more compelled by Jesus Christ every day and help me to be more captivated by Him. That nothing would get in the way of that. And that then, as we, as God's people would be strengthened together as your church and would be a strong church. Make us that, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.